Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. There was this uh, illustration. It says this, and I'll tell you where to turn in just a minute. It says, three young fathers were in the waiting room. How many of you know what the waiting room is, right? Like the waiting room to... To receive, uh, uh, they were at the hospital and they were, you know, their, their, their wives were, were pregnant with children. And so it says, three young fathers were in the waiting room. And the first was told that his wife gave birth to twins. And he said, wow, that's amazing. He said, I play baseball for the Minnesota Twins. Amen. It says, later, another nurse comes out and tells the second man, congratulations. You are the father of triplets. And he said, man, that's amazing. I work for the company 3M. So the next man was, was there and he was waiting to be, you know, spoken to. And all of a sudden he faints. And when he wakes up, they asked him and they said, hey, what's wrong? And he says, I work for 7Up. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's downloading. It's downloading. All right, let's move on. Matthew 21, I want you to open your Bibles. Get your Bible, open it up to Matthew 21. We're going to just start in verse 28. So when you have, when you're, when you're there, say amen. Amen? Amen. You guys are fast. Matthew 21, verse 28. What do you think? It says, there was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. He said, I will not, he answered, but later he changed his mind and he went. Verse 30 says, then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Verse 31 says, which of the two did what his father wanted? The first they answered, and Jesus said to them, he said, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Verse 32, for John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, but you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Amen. So let's pray for the word of God tonight. Lord, we thank you for your precious word. And Holy Spirit, we just pray right now that... You would just speak to us in a mighty way, Lord. Father, we give this, this time to you, Lord. Father, give us just the interpretation from heaven, Lord, and, and teach us, God, uh, everything that you want us to know tonight. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we see this story that, that, that plays out before us. And, and Jesus, you know, just to give you a little context, Jesus is actually talking to Pharisees. He's talking to religious people when he, when he shares this story. And so, you know, the, the crux of the story is that the sons were to work and to serve their father, right? This was, this was what the father was asking of them. He was asking them to serve. He was asking them to go and do something for them. And so the, the, the word that they used there was today. And so today is the day to go. Amen? I think a lot of times we, we hear the Lord speak to our hearts and, and you know, we, we listen to the word of God. We read the word of God and the Lord says something to us and then what do we do? We just put it on hold. We put it on delay. We, we, we wait. We think, oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll get to that. 
And how many of you know, you know, how many of you have earthly parents? You know, raise your hand. You know, we, we, we should have earthly parents. We have people that God has used in this life to, to raise us up, right, to teach us and to show us. How many of you would get away from telling, you know, your mom or your dad when your dad asks you to do something, says, hey, son, go take out the trash. I will not. <laughs> if that was my dad, <laughs> my dad would have been like, you might want to <laughs> change your answer, son. <laughs> If I would say, you know, flat out give my dad a no and just be like, I'm not going to do that, dad. My dad's going to be like, well, let me convince you to do that, right? Let me convince you otherwise. Let me, you know, do I have to, do I have to raise a hand or do I have to pull out the belt? You know, what, what do I have to do to get you to be obedient? And so today is the day to go. Today is the day to work and not tomorrow. Amen. Today is the day to serve the Lord. Today is the day of salvation. Amen. Today is the day of renewed mercies in God. The Lord has so much for us today, presently, now, right? God is not a God that's just saying, hey, you know what? Your, your future is to be, you know, this destination that you one day get to. No, he's giving us commands today. He's speaking to you now. Amen. And so it's, it shouldn't be anything where it's like, you know, we get laxed and we get comfortable and we put off what God is telling us, but we should do what the Lord is asking us to do today and now. Amen. Tomorrow might be too late. In the parable, you know, and, and I'll break it down a little bit more, but in this parable, you know, he's talking about serving in the vineyard. That is serving in the kingdom of God. He's asking us as sons and daughters, as those who are saved, as those who are born again, He's asking us as sons and daughters to get to work in his vineyard. That means that there's a plan for you. Amen? There's a purpose for you. There's work for you to be doing. Amen? And it's not something that should be done, you know, you know, you know 20 years from now. Because here's the deal. The harvest will rot in the field. Think about this. Every single day. And the harvest is souls, right? We know that. Souls, every single day, are dying and stepping into eternity. And they're going one of two places. If they have repented and they've believed in Jesus and they've accepted the free gift of salvation, they go where? To heaven. But if they have not repented of their sin, if they have not received the salvation that is only through Jesus, where do they go? They will go to hell. Why? Because our sin deserves the punishment. The wages of sin is what? It's death. And it's actually more than just death in the physical sense. It is an eternal separation from the presence of God. And if you think about it this way, every single day there are souls that are rotting. And there are souls that are dying. And there are souls that need to be plucked off the vine. There are souls that need to be rescued with the love and the grace and the power of God. Amen? And if God's told us to do something, but yet we stay stagnant and we don't move, what's going to happen? That harvest is going to rot. That soul could potentially die. John chapter 9 verse 4. He said this. Jesus said, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. He says, the night is coming when no one can work. And Jesus said, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, I'll ask you this quick question. Who sent Jesus? The Father. The Father sent Jesus to this world. Amen? And so I want us to kind of look at the verse again that we read in Matthew 21. Let's break it down. The first son, what was his response? The first son, let's go back there to Matthew 21. 
He went to the first son and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. And what was his answer in verse 29? He says, I will not. How many of you have ever been asked to do something and in your heart that was your answer? You know, or in that moment that was your answer. You just blurted it out. They said, hey, can you do this for me? No. And your heart just, you know, it just, you said it, you know, but, but maybe later you'll have a change of, uh, of mind, right? Like, like maybe a little bit later you'll say, oh, you know what? No, I, I probably should do that. I'm a good husband, but I'm not always good. My wife sometimes will ask me, hey, can you bring up that basket of clothes that's at the bottom of the stairs? And I'm like, man. I'm like always sore and I don't want to carry it up, you know, a whole set of stairs, you know. And there's some days that I'll be like, no. And she's like, babe, can you bring the thing? And I'm like, okay, you know, and here I come. I, I come lugging it up the stairs. Now sometimes I do that jokingly, right? But here's the deal. With the Lord, sometimes we act the same way. We'll give a quick response, but we don't realize that we're actually giving God a no. We're actually in our heart, we've, we've said what we actually mean. What does the Bible say? For out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. The son first said, I will not. I think that was the abundance of his heart. Amen? That was what was overflowing in his heart and in his life in that moment. He's like, I don't want to do it. I'm not going to go to the vineyard. I will not were his words. But it says, later he changed his mind. How many of you are thankful for the grace of God? That he gives us opportunity to change our mind. Amen. When we've said the wrong thing, when we've responded the wrong way, when we've acted the wrong way, when we've acted a fool, God gives us the opportunity to change our mind. Amen. And so these sons, you know, they were there. And this first son, that response was literally a disrespectful rebellion. He was rebelling against his father. It was the refusal of a son who wanted to just go and do his own thing and do his own way in life. He rebelled in that moment at being told what to do. And our flesh has that tendency. Our flesh wars against with what God wants us to do. Amen? Our flesh is what's telling you, no, don't do that. No, don't be at peace with somebody. You know what? Be angry with somebody. Because it'll feel better if you're angry. It'll feel better if you say that thing that you really want to say, right? That's what the flesh is wanting you to do. And when we know the Spirit of God and we know the Father, we understand that those things, the carnal self, our, our flesh, our, our, our carnal being, it has to die to self. In Colossians chapter 3 and chapter 2, it literally says to, to, to put off the old ways, to put off those things that, that, that condemn us, to put off those things, those, those things that cause our flesh to have control over our life and to put on Christ, amen, to put on Christ. And so, you know, here this young man, he's there and he's wanting to do his own thing. He's wanting to say, you know what, I don't want to live for you. I don't want to respond. I don't want to, you know, say yes to what you're asking me to do. But the beautiful thing is that he went and he repented. How many of you know what the word repent means? That word repent means to turn to a higher way of thinking. It means to change your mind. You know, a lot of times the people think it's just the action. But it, what causes the action? The mind. We don't often, you know, think, you know, sometimes we say, oh, well, I'm just supposed to stop doing that action. 
right? If it's, if it's foul language, if it's, you know, treating people a certain way, we're supposed to just stop the action. But here's the deal. The action is the fruit. The mind is the root. What we do from our life is controlled by this. And unless we change our mind, unless there's true repentance in our heart and our life, then guess what? We will always be controlled by the root of our nature, which is our flesh. And the Lord is looking for people. He's wanting people to repent just like this son. He knew he responded wrong. In that moment, he knew. And what did he do? He caught himself. He was like, you know what? <laughs> that was wrong. And he changed his mind. The first son turned from his self-chosen life of rebellion and worldliness. And he turned back to the father to go back into the kingdom to work. Amen. The scripture says in verse 29 that he had a change of mind. Now, how many of you have ever said something or, or done something and soon regretted how you responded? Amen. I think everybody. You know, you, you, you did something in the moment and then all of a sudden, like, you know, you, you cool down and you, you have a moment of peace. And then you realize, like, what did I just say? What did I just do? What did I, like, what caused me to go there? And there's this change of heart that begins to, to sink into your life because you understand that you can't respond that way. You can't act that way. Those things are not pleasing to the father. And so we see here, we see this second son. What is his response? The second son is asked the same question, and his initial response is, I will, sir. That's a good response, right? I mean, that, that you know, your parents would be happy to hear that, you know. Hey, son, you know, take out the trash. Yes, sir. My dad would probably be like, hey, great. Now, at the end of the day, if I just said, yes, sir, but I did nothing, is he going to be happy? No. There has to be actions behind my words. And what does it say? This second son says, I will, sir. And his response indicated that he was going to actually go and do it. It sounded good. It's like when your boss walks into your office and they said, hey, are you getting that thing done? Oh, yes, yes, yeah, I'm doing it. And you're really not. It's in the back burner. It's stuck in your email. You haven't even read it. You don't even know what it is that you're supposed to do. But you say the right thing in the moment. And here's the deal. The Lord looks through that like, like nothing. You can fool men and you can say things that sound right in the hearts of men. But guess what? He will never be fooled. He knows the intentions of our heart. He knows exactly what it is that your heart truly means and what it is that your heart is truly expressing to him. He said, I will go to work for you, but guess what he did? He failed. Amen? He failed. That is, he never did go work for the father. He went to work, but not for, the, for his father. And so in the same way, he's just like the first son. In the same way, he's just like him. He was selfish. He was disregarding of the father and his needs. He was disregarding of the father's orders. And he goes about his own life. And so the only difference between the two sons is that the second son responded in respect for the father and professed to work for him. But he never went into the vineyard. He never did the work. And so it was a life of religion and moral strictness, as we shall see. And so the next thing that happened is Christ asked this crowd of Pharisees, this crowd of religious people that are standing around him. 
he asked them this question, which of the two sons did the father's will? Which of the two sons did the father's will? And these religious people, they did not see the point of the parable yet, so they gave the obvious answer. They said, the first son did the father's will. Makes sense, doesn't it? What did he do? He responded wrong, but what did he do? He had a change of heart. He had a change of mind. And so their immediate response to Jesus is very interesting. Because if you can understand, let me just remind you of who the Pharisees were. These were the people that, you know, that that washed the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup was still dirty. That is, they looked the part, they dressed the part, they, they said the right things when they were supposed to, they, they knew the law, you know, they knew all of the appropriate things, but yet in their heart they were defiled. Everything on the outside looked good, but it was the issue of the heart. And so Jesus, you know, asked them this question, and they give the right response. Believe it or not, that was the correct response. That is, they saw that the son had changed his mind and did the right thing, yet they themselves had not done it. They hadn't repented. How many of you know every time we read the gospel, it should be like looking, you know, at a mirror. That is, everything that is said applies to us. Gloria and I were having a conversation today, and something that, you know, we were talking about, she was reading this book, and she was like, oh, man, this hit me, and this hit me, and this spoke to my heart, and this spoke to my heart. And I'm like, you know what? The truth is is that if we open the word of God and we think that the stories and the parables and the teachings are about somebody else, then we're deceived. It's always about you. Amen? It's always about us. We're the, the, you know, tax collector. We're the Pharisee at times. Amen? We're the, you know, we're all of it. And so when we see the word and we, and we look at the word and we see what Jesus is saying, we have to understand something, church, that we cannot fool God. We cannot fool Jesus in any way, shape, fashion, or form for him to just somehow, you know, look over us. You know, I, I've been a pastor now for 20 years of my life, and guess what? You know, it, I don't think that there's any kind of like, I have no better status in heaven, you know, than any one of you. I really don't. I really don't. I have to repent of my sins just like you do. I have to cry out to God, you know, for his mercy and his blood to be upon my life when I fail him just like you do. There's no higher seat in the kingdom. The highest seat is the person that is the lowest. The person that is most willing to serve. The person that's most willing to give their life. The person that is most willing to lay their life down. These people, they thought they knew God. They thought they would answer correctly. They thought all the right things. You know, they saw certain things, and they even, you know, understood this parable to that point. But guess what? They did not understand that it was talking about themselves. They demonstrated just how much religion and self-righteousness can blind a person. A lot of times, and it's funny because, you know, Sometimes when the, when the sermon's good and you start talking about, you know, you know people, you know, lying on you and cheating on you and you're sitting there in the pew and you're thinking about that brother or sister a couple rows down. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, 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 pastor. Come on, pastor, preach it to them. You know, preach it. You know, you know I know you got a word for them. Guess what? It's you that needed to hear it. There's so many times where you're thinking like, you know what? I wish so-and-so was here to hear this message. No, 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 no. You were there for a reason. 
You were there for a reason. We're so quick to be like, oh, they need to hear that. God's like, sit down. You got the front row seat. You know, you're, you're, you're the first one to hear this. Why? Because here's the deal. When we think that we've arrived, when we think that it's because of our actions, our words, the way that we look, the way that we present ourselves, the way that we do all the things right in the house of God, when we think that somehow that is pleasing to God, we are deceived. We are blinded. And it gives us a false sense of security, amen? And so here's the deal. A person, a clergyman, a layman, a regular person who sincerely lives a life of religion and moral purity has a great difficulty understanding why they're not acceptable to God and why they can't enter into the kingdom of God. They think, I've, all, I've, I've done it. Guess what? We're not here because of anything that we've done. We are here because of everything that he has done for us. Amen? We are here because Jesus is merciful. Amen? Because God is grace-filled. Amen? And so many men and women are blinded by the veil of religion. The audience that Jesus is speaking to is blinded by the veil of religion. That is, they can see what others need to do, but yet they are blinded by what they need to do. They can see what somebody else needs, you know, and they say they can see the error in somebody else's life, right? What, is, what does Jesus tell that one man? He says, he says, you know, you're trying to look for a speck in somebody else's eye when you've got a log in your own. You, you're, you're picking out something in somebody else's life that, that could be true, it could be real, it could be a present issue in their life, but you're ignoring the log in your very own eye. Amen? So notice again what happened between these two sons and their response to the father. They re, the first responded ugly, but he made an unseen decision of repentance. Amen? And the second responded properly, but never showed up to do the work. Never showed up. The religious see themselves as having done the right thing in the sight of others, but it's in the sight of the father that truly matters. Amen? It's in the sight of the Father that truly matters. The repentant, though, are seen as though they cannot do anything right in the sight of others, but they do right in the eyes of the Father. How would you want to be known by him? How would you want to be known? I'm a man of many mistakes, and guess what? I've learned that, you know what, can't ignore them. You have to own them. Amen? You have to own them. No matter what, if you desire to grow in the Lord, if you desire to see the Lord, if you desire to bear godly fruit, you know, like Matthew 3 says, to produce fruit in keeping with repentance, then you have to own what it is that you've done. There's a lot of people, I believe, that, that are not even born again because they just have assumed because they've been in church every day of their life and they've been raised in the church, you know, and they don't really understand their actual need for salvation, then what are you saved from? If you didn't realize that you were, you were dying and you were dying in sin and that unless somebody came to rescue your life, then you were going to die. And unless you receive that gift of salvation in your life and understand and acknowledge that, you know what, you were on a highway to hell, you were going to die, then you finally come to that revelation of understanding that Jesus is all that you need. Jesus is everything that you need in your life. 
And so this parable that we just read, the point of this parable is seen very clearly, and that is this. A sinner in the eyes of the world will enter heaven sooner than those who are self-righteous. This is why he said the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. Why? Because they understood that they didn't deserve to be there. They understood that they didn't deserve that mercy that he offered them. They understood that they didn't deserve, you know, to be known by this loving God. Amen. And so that first son, he represents the non-religious and the worldly of this earth. That is, they don't profess to be religious, and they don't even know that they are lost, but they desire to go their own way, wanting to do nothing with God. And the tax collectors represented the rejected and the worldly-minded, those who are more interested in money and in the things of the world than in God. And the harlots and the prostitutes represented the immoral and the sensual and those who were more interested in pleasure than in God. And the second son, he represented the religious of this earth. That is the self-righteous and those who make false profession. These were either reared in the church from their early childhood or else they came to church or into the church sometime later in their life. But as, that is that they profess religion and righteousness to be the way a person should live. And so Jesus identified the vineyard and the work that was to be done. That is, the vineyard is the kingdom of God. The vineyard is doing what it is that the Father has willed and desired that you and I do. That is to go into the kingdom of God and to serve this king within his kingdom. And so both sons and all men, for that matter, they received the same command and obligation to go into the vineyard. Every single one. Every single person that has walked on the face of this planet that has had life in their body, a living soul, has had a purpose and a destiny to ultimately fulfill the plan of God. Whether we realize it or not, whether we see a person that willfully chooses to, to not believe in God or not receive the gift of salvation, every single one was, was, was designed by God with a purpose for his kingdom. And here's the deal. The Lord respects both sons. Did you know that? The Lord respects them. What do I mean by that? That is, he doesn't force either son to work. Neither the son who rebels nor the son who makes a commitment but fails to work in God's vineyard. Here's the thing. The son's wills are ultimately honored. See, a lot of people say, oh, well, I don't think that God has a plan for my life. You want to know why people think that? Is because they willfully deny him. It's the moment that we receive him that we see the plan begin to unfold. And sometimes they think, oh, I have no purpose in God. I have no, God doesn't love me. God hasn't, you know, called me. God, God doesn't want to have anything to do with my life. The Lord doesn't want to, you know, change my life or any of these things. And guess what? The son's will will be honored. Your decision, you will live the moment I said yes to Jesus, the, the plan had been predestined for my life, but all of a sudden, I saw it. I'll never forget, I was driving down Sugar Road and, you know, back here, and, and uh, back in the day, you know, when I first started coming to Rock of Ages, Jackson was a dirt road. Some of you, you know, are not that old, and you don't remember that, but some of you that, you know, are that old, you'll remember that this was a dirt road at one time, and so we actually used to come down Sugar Road, and then we'd come this way, and we, we'd come to church. And I remember shortly after I got saved, you know, I began to, um, I was playing drums on the worship team. And, and, and I remember that, 
you know, I had this like revelation, you know, it was like the first time that I kind of understood the plan of God for my life. And, and it was just a glimpse of the plan, but it was, it was, it was understanding how, you know, he wanted me to fit in in some way. And, and I told my mom, I said, you know, mom, I'm the only musician in our family. I said, isn't that weird? No, you know, my parents didn't play music. My brothers didn't play music. Uh, nobody in my family. I didn't have aunts, uncles, grandparents. Nobody played nothing. And I was, here I am, you know, five-year-old kid that was learning how to play drums. And I'll never forget, you know, I, I really never knew why I, I liked music or I had that gift or whatever. All I knew is that, you know, it was just something that, you know, I feel like, you know, uh, I understood later that it was something that God gave me, but it wasn't something that I understood the purpose behind until that moment. And I remember I had begun to play for the Lord, and 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 all of a sudden I, I had this revelation when they were driving down Sugar Road, and I told my mom, I said, Mom, do you think that God, you know, had this plan and that he wanted me to literally live almost 2,000 miles away from my home where I grew up, and that he brought me all the way down to this little town and this little church, and it was really small back then, and that he, he had a plan because he wanted to know me. And it was so amazing to me because I was like, how is it that the Lord would, would meet me in this, in this little church that I would find salvation in Jesus and that all of a sudden I would understand just the, the tip of the iceberg for, of his purpose for my life? You know what I mean? Like it was like, man, Lord, like, like you're so merciful that you, you designed everything so perfectly. Like you knew when I was 15 years old I was going to end up here. And you knew you had given me a gift, and that gift was literally like a door for me. It was a, it was a way of opportunity. It was something, honestly, that God used to kind of like ground me. And, and, and you know, he, he showed me very early on that that gift was for him, and it was for nothing else. And so because I saw that and I understood that, I understood like in some way I was like, Lord, like you're way bigger than I, than I ever knew that you were. And the Lord doesn't make mistakes. Amen? The Lord didn't make a mistake. You're not here by mistake. You might think, well, you know what? I'm listening to this guy that I don't even know or whatever and, and any of those things. But here's the deal. You are not here by mistake. The Lord knows your life. He knows what it is that you need to hear in this moment. The Holy Spirit is merciful. The Holy Spirit is loving. The Holy Spirit is forever tugging at our heart to have communion and fellowship with us. He wants relationship with our life. But the Lord will respect your will. What you choose, he will respect. Those sons could go wherever they wanted, and they could work wherever they wished. He said this in unmistakable terms. He said, the sinners go into the kingdom of heaven before you. That is before the self-righteous and the false religionists and, and the false people that were professing a certain thing and doing another. He, he, he was literally saying here, he says, before you. Now, when he was talking to this group of people, he wasn't shutting the door on their life. Did you know that? Like, he wasn't saying, like, like you know, you're cut off and they're in and you're out. He was just simply saying, right now, they get it and you don't. They've understood, and they're there, and they're, they're living for me, and they're, they're, they're receiving my kingdom. You haven't gotten it yet. He said, they're, right now, they're just getting there ahead of you, even though you think that you are already there. And so they couldn't enter as they presently 
were. And so Christ says in the next verse, they lacked one thing, and that, they, they, that thing that they must do in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven was repent. Every single person when you come to Jesus must repent. We must repent. That is, we must renounce the ways of the world. We must renounce the things that, that we've done, the things that pain the heart of God, the things that we're, we're literally, you know, unable to be forgiven by us in our flesh. We have no power over being in right status with God in and of ourselves. We depend on the Lord to fulfill his word when he says, if you confess your sin, then he is faithful and just to forgive you. That's his end of the bargain, amen? But we must confess our sin, amen? We must repent. And so Jesus shocks the audience here, and he declares that man's idea of religion is wrong. That their idea of religion and self-righteousness were not enough to enter into the kingdom. It took more than that. And religion is not enough, amen? Like, it's, it's never going to be enough. You can't do enough ceremonies and rituals and, you know, ordinances or whatever to get yourself into the kingdom of heaven. And likewise, self-righteousness is not enough. Doing, doing the right thing and thinking that you've done the right thing, it's not enough. Amen? And so Jesus, you know, he declares to the religious and to the self-righteous, sinners go into the kingdom of heaven before you. And so let's look at this verse in Matthew 21 and 32. He says, for John came... To show you the way of righteousness. How many of you know, what was John preaching? He was saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. John was literally telling them what they needed to do in order to receive the kingdom of heaven. And so John's way of righteousness was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That is the very righteousness that religious people say is necessary to live for God. There's a lot of people that will agree with what the word says, but here's the deal. Their heart is not connected to what they say. Their heart is disconnected. It's like, oh, yeah, that's right. You know, you got to be pure. you got to be holy. you got to live righteous. Yeah, you know. But at the end of the day, they don't apply it to themselves. John was a godly man, and he lived just like those that were religious should have lived. Yet those religious people, they didn't believe what John was saying. They didn't believe that John was preparing the way for the Messiah, which was Jesus. They didn't believe any of those things. They didn't believe his ministry and his witness that Jesus was the Son of God. John 7, and, uh, I'm sorry, Luke 7 and verse 30 says, But the Pharisees and the experts in the law, they rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. You see, they found this loophole. They said, you know what? I'm not going to listen to what it is that they're asking of me because I haven't been baptized by John. They were experts in the law, but what did they do? They rejected God's purpose for themselves. How many times have we rejected the purposes of God over our own life because something we were unwilling to admit? How many times have we said, you know what? I'm good. I'm good. I, I, you know, I don't need to repent of that. I don't need to ask for forgiveness for that. I'm good. It's them. They're the one that said it first. <laughs> and we like to pass the buck, right? We like to, you know, put it off on somebody else to do, but we don't want to be willing to bend our knee before God. The great tragedy of religion is this, is that, you know, they ultimately are rejecting the counsel of God. That is, they don't want to work for him. They don't want to serve him. They ultimately don't want to do what he said 
to do. Amen? And so they have to repent for not going into God's vineyard and going into the kingdom of God. That is to serve the way the Lord wants them to serve. They reject this idea. That is, every man and woman has to believe in Jesus as the Son of God. Amen? They have to believe this truth in order to enter into the kingdom of God. There is no alternate way. John 14, 6. Everybody, you know, many of you know this verse. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That claim that Jesus made is what ruffled the religious people's feathers. It's what got them upset because they said, you're not better than us. Who's this guy that came from Bethlehem that, you know, is walking around in sandals and he's the carpenter's son, Joseph and Mary. We don't even know how he was born. Let's not get into that scandal because that's what they thought about Jesus. And from day one, they were trying to take the life of Jesus And he's the one saying that they have to go through him. Our flesh will always want to reject the way of truth. Our flesh will always want to just put up this this, this wall of resistance in order to follow God's plan. But how many of you know that we have to come to this conclusion that we need a Savior? We have to come to that conclusion in our heart and in our life that we desperately, desperately need a Savior. That is, we cannot earn this. We cannot work for this. We cannot purchase this. It's only by faith that we're able to receive Jesus as the Son of God. Amen? That is a posture of humility before God to recognize your need for a Savior. Ephesians 2 and 8 says this, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Amen? And this is not from yourself. I love how, you know, he makes it plain and clear. This is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. Amen? Not by works so that no man can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now I want to transition the message just a little bit with the time that I have left. You want to know why many of God's children stay in the vineyard of religion? I want you to just kind of ask yourself that question because now I'm talking to the saved. I'm talking to people that, that profess to know him, that, that have received him. You want to know why many of God's children stay in the vineyard of religion, and that is this, is because they don't know their heavenly father's value for their life. They don't know the father's value of them and his trustworthiness towards them. So they stand on the edge of the plan of God and the purpose of God for their life because they're unwilling to let go and fully trust. They're unwilling to lay it all down. they're, They're right there. They're standing literally like, you know, toe-to-toe with the kingdom. At any second, they could just jump in and and they could please the Father. But here's the deal. They do not know the Father's value of their life. Let me ask you this question tonight. Did you know that you are valuable to the Heavenly Father? 
You see, some of you, some of you are quick to respond and others of you might not be quick to respond because we might have a vendetta. We might have something, you know, personal between us and God. We might have something that's kind of, you know, resonating in our heart where we say, you know what, you know, Jesus, I love Jesus is, is awesome. But, but the Father, I have a different view of the Father. I'm, I'm viewing the Father in a different light. But here's the deal. You are valuable to God. Did you know that? You are valuable to God because of who you are. Why? Because he made you in his image. You can look up that verse later, but it's Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. He made you in his image and in according to his likeness. Why would a God who doesn't love us make us like him? Think about that. No, he made us like him for a reason, for a purpose, amen? That is a long time ago, even before he created you and before he created the universe, you were the focus of his love. Did you know that? All right, I'll prove it to you. Some of you are like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. I don't know if I gave it to the guys. Did I? Oh, good. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. God put you before all of creation. He had you in mind before he made the mountains. He had you in mind before he made the stars and the oceans and everything. He chose us in him. This is the destiny, and this is the plan of God for your life. Amen? You are valuable because of what you cost. Did you know that? Sometimes we get things and we acquire things in this world, and, and you know, we lose sight of the value of, of what it is that they really are. How many of you feel like your car is worth more when it's clean? Raise your hand. <laughs> You feel like, oh, man, you know, my car, you know, it's nice and clean, you know, and all of a sudden it drives better, doesn't smell like, you know, fumes or whatever, you know, and it, and it feels better because it's clean. It, it looks good, it, it, you know, but at the end of the day, it never changed value. The car wash doesn't change its value. It just makes it look better. Amen? There's no value, and it doesn't matter if you are still stuck in sin. It doesn't matter if your life is still, you know, decaying. If you're hanging by a thread, you are still as valuable to God as the person that has received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That was a good time to say amen. You're still as valuable to God. You could be literally in the middle of, of, of living a life of sin. You could be away and running from God, and you are still as valuable to him as anyone else. As one loved by God, you have also been chosen by God for adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. Ephesians 1 and 5 goes on to teach us about the price of this adoption. That adoption came at a high price, which was through the death of his son. You are valuable to God. You are valuable to him, amen? He made us accepted in the beloved, and in him we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins. You can find all that in Ephesians 1. The third thing is this, is you are valuable because of what you can become. 
You are valuable to the Lord because of what you can become. That is a person who is loved by God and who is adopted into his family. You can be sure that God has a plan for your life. Amen? You can be certain that the Lord has a plan for your life. Ephesians 1 and 12 says, In him we've also obtained an inheritance that is being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And it goes on to say that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. But it says that we've obtained an inheritance. That is something was gained in our life and you are valuable to the Lord because he has purpose for you. And here's what it boils down to. Unless we know how the Father loves us, we'll never fulfill his will. This is where I started with this whole thing. Unless you know how much and how loved you are by him, how much he treasures your life, you'll never step into that place of fulfilling his will. You'll live as an illegitimate son and daughter. You'll live as one that that just doesn't know that they can do certain things because, you know, they don't really know the value that the father has for them. Share this story, you know, I have a, a stepbrother and, and, you know, for the first, I don't know, 12 years of his life or something like that, you know, my dad didn't have custody of him. And, you know, some of you that have, you know, stepbrothers and sisters or maybe half brothers and sisters, you know about all that stuff. But my stepbrother grew up with his, you know, his grandma and, and he didn't grow up with, with me and my brother in the house with our dad. And so... You know, one day he's, I think, in like seventh grade or something like that. He's about 12 years old. He finally moves in with our family. And, like, he's just completely different than my brother and I. We had confidence. You know, when my dad would tell us that we could do something, like, we believed it, right? You know, that's the power of the father's spoken word over, over a son and a daughter's life, right? Like, like it, it carried something. But my stepbrother, he was the exact opposite. He didn't know he could do anything. He felt worthless. He felt like he, he could never, you know, amount to anything. He was always putting himself down. Like he was always kind of like, you know, hurting himself with his words, you know, thinking that he himself was worthless. And the truth was, was because he just didn't know how much my dad loved him. Because there was this separation for 12 years that he thought that somehow it was, you know, that my dad didn't love him. But that wasn't the truth. There was a court document that was in the way that prevented my dad from being able to see his son for 12 years. But it painted a picture in his heart that he wasn't loved by him. It painted a picture in his life that he wasn't really known by him. That he wasn't, you know, you know he wasn't really like a legitimate son to him. The S.D. Gilbert said this, it may be hard on some fathers not to have a son, but it is so much harder on a boy not to have a father. And just like a fatherless society produces orphaned children, so a religious church produces orphaned people. I'll say that one more time. A fatherless society produces orphaned children, so a religious church produces orphaned people. That is, orphans see not their worth, their purpose, or their value. An orphan is a child who has lost parents by death or some other circumstance. But I'm here to remind you tonight, I'm here to encourage your hearts that we have gained a father by the death of a son. Amen.
We have gained a father in our life that has given us back, you know, purpose in our life. That is, we've gained life through the death of Jesus. We've gained purpose through the pain of Jesus. We've been given access and authority because the son gave the keys to the vineyard back to the father. This is where we now stand. And that is the enemy has done everything in his power to distort the image of the father. The enemy has done that very same work in your life today. Countless people I counsel and countless people I meet, and they all struggle with this very, very same issue. That is, they have a distorted image because of something that their natural father has imprinted on their life. And because their natural father had so much influence in their life, it influences how they live for this father. It influences how it is that they trust him. Because if you never had a father present, how is it that you could trust a father that you cannot see? If you never had a father present in your life, or, or maybe they, they never spoke words of affirmation over your life, or they spoke words of, of you know, believing in you and telling you that they were proud of you, how is it that you could know that you were actually accepted by this father? You see, and this is a struggle that goes on and on and on. And I've seen it tire out, you know, just a generation of people because here's the deal. They don't know the Heavenly Father's value for their life. The enemy has wanted to reprogram our minds, you know, to think that somehow the Heavenly Father does not value your life. Now, this might touch a sensitive place in your heart, but I need to tell you that your Heavenly Father is not abusive. I need to tell you tonight that your heavenly father is not angry. He's not non-existent. He's not selfish. He's not spiteful. He's not careless. He's not divisive. But your heavenly father is loving. Amen. He's caring. He's protecting. He's trustworthy. He's able. He's powerful. He's present. He's wonderful. He's sheltering. He's generous. And the list goes on and on and on and on. Amen. How many of you know that your, your father in relationship will determine how you serve him in responsibility? I'll say that one more time. Your, how you know your father in relationship, that is through communion, through a, a daily relationship with his life, will determine how you serve him in responsibility. It really will. This is the parable that we just read. It was the son's response to the father. One of them was quick to say yes and, and, you know, didn't do what the father said. And the other one didn't say yes, but he repented and he had a change of heart. Now, word responsibility is two words. It's response and ability. That is, it's your willingness to respond to the father's voice rather than reject it. Our purpose and the father has purpose that we serve in his kingdom by faith. Amen? That is the purpose for your life. But have you put it off? Or are you responding to his voice? See, we show his unconditional love to a selfish world. This is what he desires that we do. He's included us to be co-laborers with the Holy Spirit, to tend to the vineyard, to pull the weeds and the lies of the enemy and the deceit that he's tried to you know, pour into the hearts of people so that one day they could bear the fruit of the kingdom that we represent. The Lord is wanting us to serve him, amen? But we must believe in him who has sent us. We must believe in his plan for our life. We must believe in him. 
I've shared this with you, and you know this story about my life, but not having my biological father in my life, you would think would have left me without a bad example or a distorted image of how a father should be. You say, well, he wasn't there, so therefore he can't harm your life. He can't distort your life. He can't transform something in your mind to make you think a different way, but that wasn't the case. Because for the greater part of my life, I couldn't understand why I wasn't worthy of a father. I'll never forget one day my, my niece, we were spending time, you know, away as a family. My niece, you know, had an absent father for a long time. One night she just absolutely broke my heart. Because we went out and we were, I don't know, we were at the ranch or hotel or somewhere. And it was time to go to bed and... My girls got to go with me, and I got to carry them off to bed, and, you know, I got to kiss them goodnight. My niece went crying to, to pastor, you know, her, her grandpa, and she cried, and she wept bitterly, and she said, why can't I have a daddy? Why can't I have what, what they have? And it hurt her for a long time because she, she was missing something in her life. She was missing an element that was designed to be there the whole time. And I say this to our hearts tonight. Some of us are missing what has been designed to be there the whole time. You're missing out on something. You're unfulfilled. You have no purpose. You're spinning your wheels. You find yourself in this place where you just don't know. You're like, man, you know, I, I'm, just, I'm just living my life, and my life is it's meaningless. It's pointless. Like, why am I even here? Listen to my heart tonight. Listen to what the Word is teaching us. There is a Father that loves you eternally. And what's been missing from your life the whole time is His embrace. It's been his embrace. It's been knowing how he thinks about you. Knowing the purpose for which he's called you to. Knowing why he is even, you know, you know, gracious with his precious son that would give his life for us. Like, it's knowing all of that. That's what is missing for your life. The Lord is looking, church, for sons and daughters to be sharing his love in this world. Amen. And not holding it back. I'll read this last story to you as I close. It says this. The story is told of this king who was in his throne room. And he was holding a council meeting with his advisors and his noblemen and the high ministers of his state. And suddenly there was this bang and there was a clatter and there was all this commotion at the door of the throne room. And all the eyes turned as the door burst open and a young boy ran into the room. And one of the king's royal guardsmen, they tried to stop the boy. He said, hold on a second there, lad, he shouted. He said, don't you know that you're disturbing the counsel of the king? He said, he's your king, the boy said, but he's my daddy. And the boy jumped into the arms of his father, the king. The point is this. The child of the king always outranks any nobleman, any advisor, any minister, any ambassador or dignitary. 
And the children of God, they have this position with God. That is, we have access to his throne room through Jesus. And John 14 and 23 says, Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and we will make our home with him. You see, learning to live as a son will make working in our father's vineyard so much easier. <laughs> learning to live as a daughter will make serving the king of kings so much easier, amen? Because those who do the father's work have one goal in mind and that is ultimately to please him. You're not focused on your life. You're not focused on your plans or your purposes or your goals. You're ultimately focused on what pleases the Lord. I had a conversation just a few days ago and I was uh, speaking with DJ and I was reminding him of, of something that was so powerful that the Lord just kind of brought to remembrance for me recently. And in Matthew chapter three, we see that Jesus is baptized, right? And, and we know that, you know, John the Baptist, he baptizes Jesus there in that chapter. And, and this was literally the, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, right? Like this is where it was all gonna start. He was 30 years old. And, and you know, from that point on, you know, he was gonna, there was gonna be miracles and there was gonna be so many things that were gonna, gonna happen. The kingdom of God was gonna be fully just, you know, revealed in the earth. And so we see that, that there was something that happened right after Jesus was baptized. The Bible says in Matthew 3 and verse 17, it says, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. This is my son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. And you know, church, the single reminder, that single reminder of the Father's love, that single reminder, you know, of his heart towards his son, it, it would literally shatter every single lie that the enemy would speak towards Jesus. Everything that would come after that, the temptation in the desert, all of the things that people were trying to do, all the times that they were trying to kill Jesus, all the times that, you know, he was trying to lie to Jesus, everything that was happening, that one single verse, this is my son whom I loved, with him I am well pleased. That right there was the Father's endorsement church that would literally hold a bleeding and dying Jesus to the cross. Even when the thought creeped up, crept into his mind where he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew that his father had not forsaken him. And there's times where the enemy speaks over our heart and our life and we think that God's abandoned us. He's left us. He's left us for dead. We can't feel him anymore. We don't hear his voice. We don't even know. But here's the deal. You must go back to that place and understand the father's endorsement of your life. The walk that I began with Jesus you know, when I was a 15-year-old kid, you know, it, it, it's something that I'll never forget. I know who it is that called me. And even in the seasons where I haven't always felt him present, where I haven't always felt him near, where I didn't always know how he felt about me, or if I went my own way and I left him in the dust, regardless of the circumstance, this one thing I know that the one who has called me is faithful to his word. And he will fulfill everything that he has called me to because I've surrendered myself to him. 
He will for, for, forgive my sins. He will, you know, you know, set my feet upon a rock. He'll do everything that he said he would do because he loves me. And I want to tell your heart tonight, he loves you. And whether you've been doubting the purpose of his plan for your life, I want you to know he loves you. He loves you and he desires to see you fulfill his plan for your life. And maybe somebody in here tonight needs that simple reminder that says, the Father loves you. The Father loves you. The Father loves you. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.